Studying and understanding the Bible can be difficult. Even just finding the time to do it is a challenge. But what if it wasn't? Luminate is a brand new app bringing you a collection of inspired commentaries on both the Bible and Christian history in a unique way. How? Well, it's not one of those old, dated, monotone book reading apps. No. Luminate is an app that gives you the control. Want a different voice? Choose it. Not feeling the background music? Change it. Feeling the need to upgrade your devotional experience? Download it. The Luminate app is available on all platforms now for free. So go check it out. And that set off a firestorm. I mean, the local TV stations were calling me. National Public Radio, NPR called me to speak. Every time they called, I God whispered in my ear, like a lamb led to the slaughter is dumb. So said he not a word. And I never responded because God wanted to defend me. Mm -hmm. I went through the fire. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. My guest today is perhaps the most well-known person we've ever had on why they did that. And he probably wishes that didn't have to be the case. He is an expert in public health with multiple degrees in the field. He was appointed to President Obama's Presidential Advisory Council on HIV and AIDS while also serving as an associate pastor for his church. And while all that sounds incredible, it came with a price. In May 2014, the state of Georgia's Department of Public Health hired him as their district health director, but shortly thereafter, fired him. Why? Because of sermons that he had preached that were recorded and put online. The next few years of his life would be the most challenging, but it's in crisis true crisis, that genuine character is revealed. Joining me in this episode is Dr. Eric Walsh. Someone else that knows something about true crisis is the prophet Daniel. Taken from his home as a teenager, made a eunuch on the way to Babylon as a prisoner of war, he was one who had to watch as his people were enslaved and his captives ran the greatest ancient civilization there ever was. Daniel knew crisis. And another one was on the horizon. With Babylon shockingly destroyed, the Medo-Persian Empire reigned supreme, and within it, Daniel prospered. Third in this kingdom, just as he was in the last, he was faithful, of course, in all his ways. But remember, all those who live godly shall suffer persecution. Daniel is at the nexus of prophecy um, and also obedience. And we are instructed that we should really study the book of Daniel. Right. And a lot of people think that that's just the prophecies of Daniel chapter 2, 7, 8. Um, you know, 9, 11, 12. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's deeper than that. Right. To understand Daniel fully, you have to understand where he was in time. Mm -hmm. He was in a time of, uh, of great pain and uh, perplexity. Uh, the, his people had been captured. Um, he probably walked on foot the, the hundreds of miles from mm -hmm. Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. Uh, he was a man who was a contemporary of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah would have been older and he probably studied at his foot in Jerusalem before he left. 
um, and Daniel was in a place where um, he had to stand for God in a foreign land. And one of the things you don't get from the book of Daniel, but you have to, but it's implicit to the book, is that he and his co- and, and his comrades, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to stand for God when the rest of their compatriots from Israel didn't. Right. Right. There's no. There's only four of them. Mm. <laughs> it's not like 20, 50, 60. There's no mention of anybody else outside the fiery furnace or heading to the lion's den. It. It's a unique place that they had to be. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't just take the four of them. And Nebuchadnezzar absolutely did not just take the four right. of them. So they're not just faithful among the heathen. They're faithful among the supposedly faithful. Among the brethren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and it's relevant um, when you step back and look at it because many of those brethren, many of those faithful, or, you know, or as they say, the others of the children of Israel, when the time came for them to go home, they didn't want to go home either. Yeah, that's right. You can't really understand the book of Revelation where it says, come out of Babylon, unless you understand these stories. Mm. Because the plea to come out of Babylon in Revelation, in some ways, in, uh, is echoed in the fact that there was a plea, hey, come out of Babylon, come out of the land that captured us um, in order for us to go back and rebuild mm. the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. Right. And so Daniel stands at that nexus. It's a, it's a pretty fascinating place when you take all of the stories of Daniel and you bring them together. He is a great Bible uh, character and a great hero of the Bible. So much so that when, as a child, we sang songs like Dare to be a Daniel, mm-hmm. Dare to Stand Alone, Dare to Have a Purpose Firm, right. and Dare to Make It Known. The story that really highlights this is found in Daniel chapter 6 as Daniel the individual. He shows great bravery when he steps forward in Daniel 2 to, um, you know, def- really save the lives of all of the magicians and mm-hmm. Chaldeans when he's able to interpret the dream. He shows his courage in Daniel chapter one. Can you imagine you're a, you're a slave in a foreign country, basically, and they're offering you the king's diet and you say, listen, wait a minute, I'm not eating that stuff. I'm right. not defiling myself and I don't want my friends defiling themselves. So he shows courage throughout the book. But as an older man now, mm-hmm. I mean, here he is in the past the kingdom of Babylon into the empire of the Medes and Persians. He's dealing with um, Darius, who is, really a king and not the emperor Mm -hmm. Cyrus later on comes into the scene is and here he has to deal with the fact that he's hated he's hated because if you go all the way back to Daniel 1 he was found to be 10 times better than everyone else Mm -hmm. based on his diet that never changes right in fact one of the most amazing things when you think about Daniel is he actually bridges empires yeah like Babylon falls he's a he's in the court of Babylon in fact the last thing um, Belteshazzar does is actually give him a robe and a chain and the third of the kingdom and Daniel somehow survives that and maintains his position in the next kingdom and maintains the position and most importantly maintains his integrity mm. so he is a man that that says a lot and he it, and I think what we miss is that this was not an easy ride yeah you think of Ezekiel out at the banks of the river you think of him out there working arguably he would have been like the pastor to the Captives that were working the fields, making sure the Babylonians had food to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book of Ezekiel, you think, well, Daniel's in the palace. He probably had a good, probably not as easy as you think, because right. he were always people conspiring against him. And he was always being tested because he was not like everybody else. Right. So in Daniel chapter six, this comes to a head. And um, Darius in verse one, um, he had a kingdom. He had 120 princes, uh, which he should be over the whole kingdom. And over these, he wanted to give three presidents. So verse two, he said, there's three presidents of whom Daniel would be the first. Mm. So Daniel, in effect, would have been like the vice president of the United States in some ways, like, right. or, or, you know, or the secretary of a conference or something. He would have been a pretty high-ranking official. Um, and he said that the princes might give accounts done to them, and the king should have no damage. So the king is a wise king. He's setting up a system. This is why the Medo-Persian Empire actually was as strong as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they had a good form of government, in a sense, at least in terms of structure. Um, but because he was preferred, um, the Bible says in verse 3, it was because he had an excellent spirit in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. He had an excellent spirit in him. Mm. That says that you don't have to, to be successful in this life, you don't have to compromise your Christianity. Mm. If, you, if you are faithful to God, he will advance your cause. Isaiah says, if you, if you keep my Sabbath, the book of Isaiah, God speaking, If you keep my Sabbath, I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. Mm. Daniel is a story that of obedience is literally the key to his success, even though in our era, 
you would see many faithful or people who claim to be faithful Christians kowtowing and compromising in order to get success. So why do you think it is, given that we have those scriptures, those promises of God's people, you know, being the head and not the tail, and yet we look through the scripture and we do have these people. We have the Daniels and we have um, Joseph. the, the Josephs, the Jobs even. Um, Abraham. But yet it seems to be few and far between. And even if you look at present day, you know, you don't really see a lot of God's people in, you know, walking the same halls that these great patriarchs and prophets once did. But you, but that, but that isn't the necessarily the definition of being the head and not the tail. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could be the head and not the tail because at your job, you're the one who the boss knows he can trust because you're honest mm. and because you're faithful and because you're diligent. Um, you could be the head and not the tail because in your community, you know, you provide services or, you know, your church is involved with community service. Other people aren't. Um, it's not, this isn't about material success. Mm-hmm. Daniel was still an employed man. Mm. Um, Joseph was still an employed man. Right. Um, but it's it, it speaks to the fact that you are able to rise to a position where you can influence others for God. Mm. And that you can do even in a small sphere. Even if you're a teacher at a local public school, you can be someone who influences for God. Sometimes not because you can open your mouth and say it in our public schools now, but because you live it. Mm. That's the power of Daniel. And the reason he rose, because God needed a man in a position of influence. Daniel and Joseph and Abraham and Job are not men in the stature they're in so that God could, you know, lavish them with riches. Mm-hmm. They're in the position they're in so that they can influence others to know who the true God is. So they're not examples for the high and mighty of society. They're examples for the everyday man today. They absolutely are. They are They are actually, they quintessentially speak against the prosperity gospel that you hear. Mm-hmm. Because the prosperity gospel says, because you're faithful, God is going to give you all of this. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, this is saying, listen, God will give you what he needs to give you because you're faithful and he can trust you to be a person of influence in that position. Mm-hmm. And when you when you violate that, when you go against that, quickly you will begin to fall away. God can remove the, the success. Now, Satan also gives success. Of course. And so if Daniel, here's the irony, Daniel may have been just as successful regardless of how this story in Daniel 6 go. Mm-hmm. If he had compromised, Satan might have actually elevated him and put him where he wanted him to be because now Satan had control over him and now he had influence for Satan rather than for God. Stay faithful to God and he will place you in the position where you'll be an influencer for him. And that's the story of the book of Daniel. So much so that, you know, thousands of years later, this is a book we still read. Right. A book that's still studied. A book that we've, the oldest versions of it have been found to predate the birth of Christ. With the Dead Sea Scrolls and some other archaeological Mm -hmm. digs, Yet, the book predicts the Messiah exactly to the day. And the Messiah says, go back to the book. And the Messiah says, go back to the book. This is how relevant the book is. Mm-hmm. Because if you study it, in a, in a, rather than pulling out the prophecies and studying them separate from the, sto- from the history and the stories, if you put them all together, what it does is it not only gives you a roadmap of what is to happen, it speaks to the fortitude, mm-hmm. the faith and the consistency you must have in order to survive what's happening right and what's going to happen and so as we look at it i mean you know he, he you know the, the guys get jealous um um and they say hey we got to find a fault in him look at verse four then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against daniel concerning the kingdom but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful neither was there any error or fault found in him he was faultless i mean right. that, that, that says a lot mm. here these guys are looking for a reason to destroy him and they can't find one and here's what they say Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Right. This, again, you you would think, oh, this is the history, but this is prophecy. Mm. The truth of the matter is, as we approach the end of time, and as we see the tide changing against Christianity, I was just reading an excellent article on, I think from New York Times Magazine, on why the church is dying in America and why churches are closing. I saw that in the UK, from the UK, where, where churches were being turned into pubs and yeah. mosques and other things. And now that phenomena isn't just happening in New York City, which mm. is, which mirrored the UK and, and the rate of that kind of happening. It's happening all across the country, mm. right? So as we begin to see these things happening, the climate is changing against the Christian. Mm. 
it is becoming less and less popular to be a Christian. Let me give you an example before we get deeper into the story. Yeah. There are those who would say, I can't be a Christian because Christians were slave owners. Mm. And there are black Christians now, and I'm African-American. There are black Christians now who are saying, listen, I don't want to be a Christian because Christianity is a white man's religion. They use the Bible. They use, and then they yeah. try and say, hey, this Bible you know, supported slavery. and Christian. In fact, the opposite is true. Christianity was in Africa before it ever got to the British Isles, for sure. The Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts tells you that. Right. Um, and they're, not only that, the Abyssinian church, the Ethiopian Orthodox church, um, uh, is actually recorded as being the oldest Sabbath-keeping church in the world. Mm. The other one that was, would be close the Armen- is the Armenian church. Right. So, I mean, you could, you could really get deep. But my point is, in a time of political correctness and social justice, and, you know, people use the word woke too much, but wokeness, mm-hmm. the church is now on the wrong side of that. Mm-hmm. The church that actually, the civil rights movement um, happened under the auspices of the black church. The, one of the greatest bloodless revolutions in the world's history mm-hmm. was all done because they believed the teachings of Christ right. to turn the other cheek, right? So... The church is not going to be seen like it was. And I could go, I mean, there's so many other things we could get into with that, but that's just one example. So when you look at the story of Daniel, he had an excellent spirit in him. They could find no fault in him. So what do they look for? They look to see if they can find where he, where they can get him because he keeps God's law. Right. Now, there is a time coming when it will literally be God's law that will be a test. Just like it is here, it will be in society. Mm. Um, and we know this, we can see this because there are more people deciding that, hey, we need a people, you know, we have to limit people's rights because they might offend someone else. Right. And ultimately, you know, around issues like climate, I believe that there are going to be some massive changes in society, especially to try and get people to, to, to reverse climate change and maybe keep a day of the week sacred. Coming out of the pandemic, there are a lot of people who said, listen, if we just did this once a week, we yeah. can drop the carbon emissions. And we could change everything. There's already talk about a green Sunday um, as a green Sabbath. So I want to just, just lay that out there. You've got to understand that the law of God is going to be the, the point of test. So what people are saying now is that this law has been done away with. So Christians will tell you the law has been done away with. That is it's lunacy yeah. when you study the Bible. But in the last chapter of the book of the Bible, in Revelation 22, it says, who gets right to the tree of life? Those who keep the commandments of God. It, it clearly hasn't gone away if that's right. the case. But... We, in order to keep the commandments of God, we can't do that under our own power, which is why they say an excellent spirit was in him. Mm. What spirit is that excellent spirit? Right. It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Holy Spirit was indwelling in Daniel to such a point. His character reflected the character of Christ so that Daniel was without spot or blemish in a sense. And so they had to come after him based on his doing right. Yeah. And I think this is really, sometimes I feel like we miss the mark here as a people when it comes to understanding prophecy. Peter, when he wrote about this, he mentions a moral purpose of prophecy, Mm. that the purpose of prophecy is that the day star Jesus would arise in your heart and that the prophecies were were pointing to him, are pointing to him. And yet we oftentimes take the books of Daniel and the books of Revelation and we demote it to, you know, biblical arithmetic and charts where we're just like, look, this is when it's going to start and this is when it's going to end. And and that's what you really need to know. Where in actual fact, there's so much more substance here than just dates or times. It's almost as if the dates and times are secondary. And I believe that they might be because the point that the scripture is trying to bring out is that the dates and the times don't matter to you if you don't have that spirit. Because exactly. without that spirit, the dates and times will come and you'll be on the wrong side. Absolutely. We are to be like Daniel, not in the sense where we just know, like we just knew when the Messiah was going to mm. come. We're meant to be like the person that he was. That's when the prophecies have power. And the prophecies, the way I see the prophecies, the prophecies are like the legs of the table, mm. the numbers and everything, but they're not the table itself. Right. That's why the book of Revelation, the greatest prophecy book of the Bible, is called the Revelation, the unveiling right. of Jesus Christ, to your point. So, you know, um, but as you, and it works both ways. There are some people who, when they understand how exact, because they've been raised in a secular society, mm-hmm. um, or they're Muslims, we work with some Muslims at our church. When you show them the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, prove to them when these books were were written and show them that the, you know, there are copies that predate some of the prophecies that are fulfilled, for some of them, that's how they gain 
confidence in the word right. of God. That's how it was for me. Yeah. It was okay. Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 that moved me from a, a staunch unbeliever to someone that was like, well, this could be true. And I like the word that you use. It gave me confidence, mm. but it didn't convert me. Right. It was right, the right. love of God that converted Amen. me. It was Amen. the cross and Amen. Calvary that converted me. But this opened my eyes to the fact that, hold on, maybe I can trust God's word. Well, the beautiful thing is the confidence is necessary so that you will hear right. the story of the love, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, it, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. Once you have confidence in the word and you read the story, you're like, wait a minute, this is the greatest story ever right. written. Exactly. Right? And you jump from the confidence to the relationship, mm-hmm. right? Now you say, wait a minute, I, I trust this book, yeah. but I want to I want to get to know the person who the book is about. Exactly. <laughs> I want to be more than convinced. Exactly. I want to be, I want to be more than convinced. I want to be converted and I want to be connected. Yeah. Right. And so that's where you get to. But so back to the story, one of the most powerful parts of the story is that they come up with this whole scam. They come up with a law. They, you know, they get it. They get the king to write it in his arrogance. Um, you know, uh, Darius's arrogance. Um, verse 10 is really probably um, the verse that we'll, we'll, we'll hang on. Um, and it says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he did aforetime. Verse 11, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Mm. Now, we, we, we don't even read, need to read anything else. The rest of the story is amazing, but this is the crux. Mm. And I, I, after I went through my own experience around religious persecution, um, this is one of the first sermons I, I, I did at Advent Hope in Loma Linda, and it was called, Is Your Window Open? Mm. And the reason I, I, I called it that is because the truth is there's no there would have been no sin for Daniel to shut his window. Mm. No sin. Right. Nothing wrong with shutting your window and, and praying in private. Yeah. It's a statement of Daniel's boldness. That he was not on the defensive as a Christian. And, and since the pandemic and some of the things that have happened over the last few years, many Christians are on the defensive. They're running, you know, they, they're, they're using other things that have happened to say, hey, you know, the world is so corrupt now. I've got to bunker down. I've, I've heard people say the planes are going to stop flying in a few weeks and money's going to get thrown out and, you know, all kinds of stuff, right? Daniel did not go into a defensive posture, mm. he went into an offensive one. Wow. This is why Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates aren't offensive. Mm. Gates are defensive. Yeah. Satan's gates are what we are supposed to be tearing down. Right? So it's not, we don't stand out. Yes, the, the shield of faith catches the fiery darts of Satan. So he has his offensive weapons. Mm-hmm. But his homestead should also be under attack. Mm. The Bible says, you know, when we see the, the unfruitful uh, works of wickedness, we're supposed to expose them. Right. You know, you're not supposed to just be like, oh, well, you know, they're, they're doing evil over there. Let me just close my eyes. I'm never going to preach against it. You go to a church where no one is ever speaking to the evils of the modern entertainment industry, mm. never warning you about the dangers of pornography, mm. never speaking to the power of music and how it can damage you, never speaking um, to um, the, the modern day moves that are moving people away from God, trying to break that connection we were talking about earlier. Right. Because as God pulls you in, Satan is trying to pull you out and he's got all of these things to do it. If you go to church every week, none of that is being spoken of so that you can actually get deeper and deeper into some of these worldly secular things without ever hearing a word from the pulpit, you're in trouble. Yeah. Because we are supposed to, we're supposed to speak against these things openly. The Bible says to cry aloud and spear not. Mm-hmm. The Bible doesn't say, okay, you know, you know what's wrong. Go hide in a corner. Yeah. There's no watchman. Lift, up, suppose, a you lift up the trumpet. You got to say something. Mm-hmm. And yet in our pulpits there, and I don't mean just one denomination, I mean across the board, there is a paucity of people speaking against these things. Mm-hmm. So Daniel goes into his house, and this is, it's beautiful. Three times a day he prays with the window wide open. Regardless of the weather, regardless of what's happening, Daniel wants them to know that I will never cease worshiping my God mm-hmm. out of fear of an earthly king. Now, do what you want with that but I'm going to stand firm for God. Now, the question then becomes for all of us, is our window open? Mm. Are we living the kind of life where people say, when you go out to eat, do you not say, I mean, something as simple as not say grace with whoever you're sitting with because you're scared people are going to look at you like you're crazy because mm. you prayed? Right. 
I mean, is your window open? Mm -hmm. If your neighbors are going through something, are you the one that willing to go across the street, knock on the door and say, listen, I heard something's going on. Um, you know, here's a here's a book that might be of value to you. Um, you know, I'm bringing you some some refreshments or food. Um, and our family will be praying for you. Mm. Or is your window closed? You're like, eh, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not going to offer them these. That's where the choice is. And it's a choice that we probably make every day, maybe multiple times a day. Christianity isn't cool, right? Maybe it used to be. But in this day and age when people can get offended by the slightest thing you say, sometimes it feels safer, like you can do more good perhaps if you just close your mouth, if you just close your windows. The reality is, if Daniel closes his window, he doesn't get thrown into the lion's den. But at the same time, if Daniel closes his window, he doesn't get to see God's supernatural power. If Daniel closes his window, the king doesn't get to witness firsthand the glories of the God of Israel. And all our little ones would never grow up daring to be a Daniel. The reality is, you can either dare or you can cower. And I don't know about you, it feels like most of Christianity right now is cowering in a time when true bravery is needed, perhaps more than ever. I think whole Christian organizations, universities, uh, denominations are afraid to be called out for being a hater, for being um, a, a phobic of something. They're afraid of it. Mm. And the truth is, if our actions were the actions of love and our words were the words of warning, even when they call you those names, they would have nothing to stand on. Right. Because here's the, here's the thing Christians need to get. It doesn't matter what kind of Christianity you practice now. They're going to call you those names anyway. Yeah. They, they're going to believe you're bigoted, Close mind. I saw an article the other day that they were saying um, people who don't believe in evolution are more likely to be bigots. Mm. I said, what kind of crazy connection are they making? But basically, who doesn't believe in evolution left in the United States, the UK, Australia, Canada? Mm -hmm. Who's left that doesn't believe in evolution? Christians. Yeah. Muslims, Christians. Only some of. Only some of the Christians. And so they're saying if you do. So what are they really saying? Listen, if you believe God created the world, you're more likely to be a racist or, or, or whatever mm. than if you don't. That's a powerful pressure yeah. to back away from it. Never mind the fact that the last two great popes, John Paul II, Pope Francis, the Pope now, have both basically eradicated the theory of evolution. Like mm -hmm. publicly said, this is just a theory, uh, basically eradicated the first uh, chapters of the book of Genesis. So are you willing to stand in that situation? Mm -hmm. You're right, because the whole world is so easily offended. So you have to love. And I was just having a conversation with, a young person, I was in uh, Atlanta speaking just a, a week ago, and we we're talking about this very issue. My friend is of this community, and this is what's going on with my friend, um, and I don't know how to reach them. He said, I said, love them. Mm. I said, love them. When it's their birthday, buy them something nice. When you know they're going through something, send them a note. Um, you know, even if she says, well, they don't really want to talk to me anymore because they don't like that I'm a Christian. I said, that's okay. Christmas time, get them a, a nice gift. Send them words of encouragement from the scripture. I said, you you be consistent in loving them mm -hmm. because they're assuming you're going to be consistent in hating them. And I'm telling you that if you do that and hold the standard at the same time, that's how people are going to be changed. That's the that's the that's the real trial that is going to come upon us now. Right? One of the ways you're going to show a world that's sick and dying, the love of God, is to show them the health message, the truth and the good news of the health message. So um, there is a lot that we can do, but the world is going to get more sensitive. It means we have to be more like Daniel. So we are called as, as the children of God to, to love mm -hmm. everyone Absolutely. and to, to share the truth. Yep. And even that, just the word truth mm -hmm. is offensive. It is now offensive. So would you say then, because this is kind of how, I, how I've seen it, and I, and I love that point that you brought up about this balance is that we have permission to offend because we are called to preach the truth. If the truth has become offensive, then 
were be offensive. And so be it. But to be offensive without having that spirit, without having the spirit of Christ, without actually loving, I think that's that's why so many people run away and hide. Because they know the truth and they know they could vocalize it, but they also know that their neighbors know who they are. And you can't claim to be a Christian at the end and everyone's like, well, how, how are you a Christian? You, you were doing this and you were listening to this and eating this and, and so on and so forth. And I think that I think that there, that there is a balance there that one can find if you really are under the spirit of God, where I will, I will love not just my neighbor, but also my enemies or just those that perceive me to be enemies. Exactly. But that's not going to keep me from vocalizing what I know to be true. Absolutely. Because if you if if that is what all it takes for you to um, shy away from the truth, then the devil has you. Mm. Right? Um, so, it, and we know that we're going to go into a time where we're going to be persecuted. Matthew 5, 10 through 12 tells you that. Peter speaks about it. Um, and so we have to be prepared for it. But again, it all happens in the backdrop of love. And when I say love, I don't just mean, well, I love them. It means you're praying for people right. who may not like you, sincerely praying for them, <laughs> uh, and you're serving them. Like mm. I was telling that young lady, like, don't just say you love her. Don't just say you want Pray to be this person. I'm praying for you. Do things, tangibly yeah. do things to show them. And when other people aren't thinking of them, you they have a tangible proof mm -hmm. that you are concerned for their well-being and for their benefit and that will that will jostle mm. what the enemy is trying to do in the minds of many in the secular world today because the, in, in their mind what's lodged is that you are a closed-minded bigoted hating person when you jostle that loose with love mm. it messes them up it disarms them it disarms them yeah. because all of a sudden now they they, they can't find a, the the untrue north of what they thought you were right right now that there's another the, the compass in their mind that judges you can't find the direction. Mm -hmm. And so now you have an opportunity where the truth can slip in. Mm. Jesus did that. Yeah. Jesus was a master at doing that. Um, I was just reading a parable of the, um, was that one of the, un, uh, the unjust judge? Um, and we were, and, and the woman who kept going, kept going, yeah. kept going. Um, and one of the things that you take from that is exactly that, right? That ultimately God is going to show up for each one of us. Um, he doesn't have the character of that judge. Mm -hmm. You know, he 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 has he has the character that he will avenge his enemies. So we're going to go through these times of trial. But God is going to make it right in the end. Mm -hmm. Our job is to show his love during the time of pain, right? And difficulty. And that is the that's, you know, when we talk about the little time of trouble, a lot of people miss that piece of it. Mm -hmm. The little time of trouble isn't just we're not just supposed to be persecuted because we believe the truth and we live it, but because we love enough to share it. So there's going to be a loud cry. Yeah, there's going to, you know, there, all those things are going to happen as we come towards the end. Um, a voice is going to be heard coming from out of the east, and that is really what's going to shake the world up. And the way that we serve people and treat them is going to be the backdrop, which is going to make some of them say, "Wait a minute, maybe what they're saying should be listened to." Right, because of who they are. Exactly. And that's the issue that these men have with Daniel. I think it's not so much that you know he's out there like you know trying to convert Darius or anything; it's who he is. Like they see who he is and how it probably juxtaposes, you know, their way of being, how he's blameless. Absolutely. And they're like, we want to take this guy down. And that interesting thing is Daniel already converted one major king. I mean, I would say he converted him, but Daniel was instrumental in yeah. the conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. Some would argue maybe Darius as well, mm -hmm. and maybe even Cyrus, some say. Right. I mean, we, we, we may not know till we get to heaven, but he, his just who he was was enough that excellent spirit. And this is why it is so important that as we go forward, we are instructed to pray more and more for the Holy Spirit. Mm. Right? It's not enough. And, and there's a lot of misconception about what the Holy Spirit does to people. Mm. A lot of people think it's going to make you speak in tongues or run around in circles. The true power of the Holy Spirit inside of you is to transform your character to be more like the character of Christ. Mm. That's why an excellent spirit was found in Daniel. Right. And it's that excellent spirit each one of us needs in us if we're gonna survive these end times. I once heard it said that much of the time when we think and anticipate something as being difficult, painful, or challenging in the future, the reality is usually not as bad as we imagined, but that when it comes to the end times, 
and what God's people will go through for choosing to stand with him, for choosing to leave their window open, will be far worse than what we could ever imagine or anticipate. Luckily for you, the rest of this episode is far better than you could imagine, so stick around. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. Persecution seems to be a hallmark of Christianity. I mean, it was said that all who live godly will suffer persecution. Daniel was persecuted. Eric Walsh was persecuted. But these aren't isolated events. In between the end of the book of Revelation and the present day, countless Christians were and are being persecuted, many often by powers claiming to be Christian themselves. Everything from the near annihilation of the word of God to the genocide of whole people groups in the name of righteousness. There's so much history to explore. And that's where Lineage Journey comes in. They've taken millennia of history and broken them up into bite-sized clips that can help you understand not just where we came from, but where we're going. With nothing to fear for the future, unless we forget the past. So remember the past, relearn the past, and relive the past with Lineage Journey. All of their content is available for free on the Lineage Journey YouTube page. So check it out after the rest of this episode, of course. Daniel is a hero of our faith. Without him, where would we be today? How would our understanding of prophecy and visions and even the coming of the Messiah differ were we not to be blessed by his ministry? Getting to read his testimony and seeing how his life unfolded through multiple world empires is always fascinating, but we still have heroes of our faith living today. People who found the Lord and gave their whole life to the preaching of the gospel. One of those is Doug Batchelor, and you can read his testimony, how a wealthy atheist of Jewish background turned to drugs, crime, and eventually a cave somewhere in Palm Springs, California, and there found the Lord. It's a wild ride, but it's a must read. You can find it on the Amazing Facts online bookstore, and we'll leave the link in the show notes too. One of the blessings of being married is having a mother-in-law. I'm sure every married man out there would agree, but mine is actually awesome. And she often reminds my wife and I that she won't be around to witness the end times. Not that she's too old, she's not, but that she frequently prays to God to just take her right before that time starts if she's still alive. She just can't do pain or suffering, anything like that. So. God is going to take her. Simple as that, really. On the other hand, I think I'd like to stick around. Not in a masochistic kind of way, and not to say that my faith is any greater than hers at all. But God didn't deliver Daniel's three friends from the fiery furnace. He delivered them in the fiery furnace. He didn't deliver Daniel from the lion's den. He delivered him in the lion's den. And sometimes... The only way to actually meet Jesus is in the fire, in the den. Perhaps that's why some of you are in the situations you're in today, because it's in that fire that you're in now that you'll see Jesus. He'll walk with you in the fire, in the lion's den. Don't be discouraged. Your trials aren't a curse from God. They're opportunities. God allows these trials. Mm. He doesn't stop you from going into the lion's den. He'll shut the mouth of the lion, but he'll send you in the lion's den. And you have to ask God, what is it you're trying to teach me in this den or in that fire? When the, when the three Hebrew boys went into the fiery furnace, they were bound. 
right? That's one of the key things about that story is they tied him up, which you think about it, it's like, why would you, what do you need to tie a man up if you're throwing him into fire? He's going to burn up anyway, yeah. right? They put extra clothes on him and everything, threw him in the fire. What burned off was the or only thing that burned up was the were the things that had them bound. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing when you go through trial. What burns off is the are the things that have you bound. It's the things that have you. It's the bad habits. It's the old ways. It's the impure thoughts. It's the defects of character. As you go through trial and you learn to lean on Christ, and Netflix becomes less important all mm-hmm. of a sudden. Who's who's at the Grammys becomes completely unimportant because you're going through this trial. Um, you know, that that romantic interest all of a sudden has no value to you. You know, that crushes of no use because you've got to survive this trial. It's as you begin to fast, in a sense, mm-hmm. from these other things that used to seem so important because you have to deal with the fire in front of you that God is able to reach us and transform us. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I say when I give my testimony on some of the things I went through is, you know, you always ask the question, why is it that the wicked prosper? You know, how is it the wicked seem to do so well? I want to submit to you that if God is not working to transform you, your life might actually feel easier. Mm. You might look at your neighbor like, man, they don't go through anything. But they're also not having their characters developed. Mm. Right? And the enemy has no problem keeping them comfortable. Yeah. If keeping them comfortable is going to keep them out. And yeah. when you look at the English speaking, I mean, I'm speaking specifically to the English speaking word, world when i when i'm in south africa i speak to the those who are the descendants of the british there when i look at the european continent so beyond just the english language on the european continent you go to france and other places and you look here in the united states and australia you're watching people who were of the most affluent people in the world be, you know in, in some weird ways attached to our language um most affluent people in the world and yet we're watching that population become less and less interested in the things of god although it was literally the United Kingdom and the United States, then in many ways, and Canada to a great extent, but these countries were instrumental in the spreading of the gospel around yeah. the world. You know, you look at the United Kingdom and the history of the of, of, of all of the great reformers and so forth that came out of not just, not just the UK, of course, Germany and other places as well, but speaking of just the UK, and to go now and see how secular the country has become, part of it is because, like America, the UK, Canada, Austria, we're so we just have so much stuff. Yeah. When you go to countries where they don't have all of that stuff, mm-hmm. their faith is still very strong. Right. Satan will use comfort to pull you away from God because mm-hmm. nice. Eh, I don't really need anything. I don't really need God. Right. I don't have to pray to him. Either the government or my job is going to take care of me. Church, it is in that position of being uncomfortable yeah. that you leave yourself open to God. Which is one of the reasons why we can't just accept everything in this world. You got to be like Daniel, and you've got to be different from everybody else. Yeah. They've got to see that you're different. Because if you are different, even in affluent America or the UK or Canada or Australia, if you're different, your 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 discomfort remains. Mm. You don't even really get comfortable if you begin to do what everybody else does. Right. As long as you say, you know what, I'm gonna stand for God. That discomfort never goes away because mm. all of the stuff doesn't change the spiritual battle. That goes on in these societies. Yeah, I was teaching my, my students a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were looking at the the early stages of the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, the author was was stating how, you know, he grew up in Nazareth, this place that was, you know, very heathen even amongst the people of God, mm-hmm. um, for thirty years. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's, she states that there's, there's no way that we can look at where we are or, or, the, or the, the places that we are and use those things as an excuse mm. for not having the faith that we should. And, and the author goes on to state that um, trials and poverty are necessary in developing purity and firmness. Mercy. And I just thought that that, that that really spoke to me because I've got a young family and I'm thinking about, you know, saving up from, you know, my son's education and, and things like that. And this just came as a sucker punch. Like actually God is going to be able to, to have, I guess, more ease of access to those that are uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. to those that don't have everything that they want to, to the poor and to the needy. It's usually those whose, whose eyes are already halfway turning towards heaven. Mm -hmm. And here we find again in this story, um, that Daniel, although although living, 
you know, presumably in, in palace or palace quarters, we have a man who had everything taken from him. Mm-hmm. Even his opportunity to fulfill the promise mm-hmm. given to Abraham, he was made a eunuch. He was never going to, you know, continue That's that right. line. And, and here he stands faithful. And what I love about this is when you juxtapose Daniel standing in the palace halls with Daniel kneeling in the lion's den, it's the exact same Daniel. Circumstance and right. surroundings and the different pressures haven't changed him. He, he, you could just kind of pluck him out of one, put him in the other, and he looks exactly the same. And I think that is, is testament to the character that this man has and therefore the character that you and I could have. And the truth of the matter is, um, you know, you're right. I mean, you have to, we have to be careful that we, we don't chase earthly riches and fame because if we, you know, and, 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 you know, success and popularity and all that, we do have to be careful. But if we are wise, mm. God will make sure that we are very well taken care of. Right. You know, David said, I was young and now I am old and mm-hmm. I've never seen a righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. So, you know, we do what God says and he instructs us on how to manage money and it's a beautiful thing. But I think what the question is, if you lose everything, what happens to you? Who are you? <laughs> so, yeah. so, and that's the problem for a lot of Christians. And this is the danger of this prosperity gospel that's going around. It's like, if you're faithful and if you have faith in God, you're going to be rich. Like literally they say that. Yeah. And the, and the unfortunate reality is that has even crept into places like Africa and South America and the Caribbean, places where the overall, you know, individual, um, you know, annual income is, is a, you know, a fraction of what it mm-hmm. is in, in the West. And you have people preaching that there. Yeah. So how does that make sense? And how do you say, so all of us have, so everybody in America is good, faithful Christians and everyone in, right. you know, sub-Saharan Africa, you know, or, or 60% of people in sub-Saharan Africa aren't, mm. when the opposite is the actual spiritual Probably, truth. Yeah. So you've got to be careful to tie your, what you have with your faith mm. because it, it doesn't necessarily correlate. What does correlate is if you have faith, even when you don't have, your faith will remain. That's right. How much faith do you have in the middle of a storm? And that's the problem for a lot of us is that when we get into the storm, we panic and we fall apart. And there was a great song we used to sing when I was a kid with Jesus in the vessel. You can smile at the storm. Yeah. And I, I want to say this again. The challenge isn't your storm. Mm-hmm. It's whether or not you have Jesus in the vessel. Mm-hmm. We think that the storm is the bad thing. Yeah. The storm isn't the bad thing. If Jesus is in the vessel, the storm is not a problem. That's why Daniel could stay so calm as he was lowered into the lion's den, or I should say thrown into the lion's den, because Dan, Jesus was in Daniel. Mm-hmm. So whatever was around him was irrelevant. He could stay peaceful and calm on the boat with the disciples as they were crossing the, the, the lake, and Jesus is sleeping in the back, and this great storm comes out of nowhere. The disciples run to him, and out of Ma- I, I always say it must have been Peter, runs him, hey, master, carest thou not that we perish? Right. Jesus gets up and is like, you guys don't have any faith. Yeah. Peace be still, and it's over. The truth of the matter is that boat could not have sunk with Jesus in it. It was an impossibility. Mm-hmm. Just like he had to delay two days to get to Lazarus' house because he, Lazarus could not have died if Jesus was in the house. Mm-hmm. So he had to act, literally he had to strategically stay far enough away so Lazarus could die so he could work his greatest miracle. Mm-hmm. He fell asleep on the ship because he knew that no matter what happened, the ship could not go down mm-hmm. and none of them would die with him on the ship. And if we remember that, like the three Hebrew boys, that's what the three Hebrew boys were able to say to Nebuchadnezzar, listen, we're not careful to answer you. Mm-hmm. Like our God can save us. So if he chooses not to, we trust him and his love so that even if we go in here and burn to death, we still trust him and his love as we burn. That's right. And the martyrs did that. That's why they sang even as they were being burned at the stake. They still were singing. I mean, can you imagine being in a crowd? And these people are being burned and they're still singing the equivalent of uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Mm. I mean, it had to be mind blowing if you were one of the people watching that. And I want, and what, what we all have to work on is Lord in the little things today, let me be like Daniel. Let me be like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Let me be like those martyrs. That means at work, let me not join into conversation that isn't of God. You know, let me lend my influence in small ways to try and show them that I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and let that, let that be in me because I have been in Christ. And I spend time in him and the Holy Spirit is in me. And it's not of my strength, it's not of my will, but because I've submitted my will 
to him so that his strength lives in me. Mm-hmm. That is the challenge today. It's the little things you do today that are going to prepare you for what's coming in the future. That means how, you know, how do we prepare for the Sabbath? How do we uh, deal with romantic and sexual issues? Um, you know, all of these things you could say, eh, it's not a big deal. How do we, how, our language, yeah. how do we speak? Are we cursing and swearing? These little things matter today. They matter because if we, Jeremiah says, I think it's Jeremiah 12, 5, I think it is. He says, if you have not been able to run with the footmen, how are you going to keep up with the horses? horses? I mean, so if you can't keep the Sabbath now, you think you're going to keep it when there's a penalty for keeping it? Like, Mm. it's not going to happen. If you can't tell the truth now, if you can't be honest now, you think you're really going to be honest when, when you know, being dishonest would actually get you a, get you a big uh, um, a pardon or, or get you out of trouble? So in the little things today, we've got to, we've got to uh, ask God to help us to be like Daniel and like these three Hebrew boys of the book of Daniel. In every way, in the way we speak, the way we love, the way we live, the world is watching, waiting to see something genuine. And their perception of the Christian world is that it's fake, that we're not consistent. We argue all the time. We hate each other. We're not truly loving. We just talk about love. We're not united. We just preach unity. Daniel is a man that lived what he spoke. And because of that, while he was most certainly blessed, he suffered. And he's not the only one either. I was living here in California, and one of the reasons Daniel it was the uh, my first sermon after my trial came from this book is because Daniel was was a great resource to me as I was going through this trial. I was working for the city of Pasadena, California. I was the head, the director of their health department, their health officer. I was asked to speak for uh, commencement mm. for the Pasadena City College, which is the community college there. Um, the president of the school had heard me speak at the mayor's prayer breakfast a couple years earlier and reached out to my office and my secretary said, hey, he wants you to speak for commencement. Um, and I agreed to do it. I should have prayed. Agreed to do it. Um, long story short, he had disinvited um, um, an activist from uh, LG, the LGBTQ community who was actually very accomplished, Oscar winner, um, actually um, produced a movie about Harvey Milk. I think the movie is entitled Milk. And he went to the school. So, I mean, had the guy ask me, hey, do you want a speaker? Should this other guy speak? I told him, yeah, that guy should probably speak. I don't have an Oscar and I didn't go to your school. Right. You know, like, you know, it's not, you know, it's not a religious thing. I just, I, you know, I'm not really qualified. I mean, you know, I'm not a celebrity. This is L.A. basically. Um, And there was reasons why he wanted to pull this guy out. I won't get into that. The school had had some scandals and there was rumor that the guy had some, that the guy they'd asked had some scandals. But when some of the students saw that he had been replaced with me, I read their Facebook page and they, they liked me. I'd done a lot of great work, um, especially around um, men with HIV and mm-hmm. the HIV infected population that were poor. So we are, the health department, we did a lot of work. We brought in millions of dollars to do housing, food, medical help, um, behavioral, mental health, mm-hmm. on and on and on. I mean, just a massive amount of services out of the health department, even a dental clinic, like mm-hmm. the first wow. ever city-run dental clinic for people HIV infected because that population really has a hard time sometimes getting no services yeah. for other bigoted reasons, for other reasons. Um, and a matter of fact, a week before the storm hit me, I was being lauded in a local paper because of all of these things that we'd done in a dental clinic in specific. Uh, but when these students found out I was the speaker, they went online to find something. And just like the story of Daniel, I'm not Daniel, but like the story of Daniel, um, where it says, you know, they, they knew that they could only find fault in him if, if they found that in the law of his God, mm-hmm. they were looking for some dirt on me because that's they, they had allegedly found dirt on the guy who was supposed to speak, even though I don't think what they said the guy did was true. Um, they came after me and were looking online and all they found were sermons. Mm-hmm. And when they found the sermons, they, you know, they took things out of context. And I mean, they, they came at me. And once... The first article was published in a pretty wide-known magazine. Um, the Los Angeles Times ran, ran an editorial on me the next day. And, and Los Angeles Times said there are two reasons that Dr. Eric Wall should never hold a scientific position in the United States of America. If you've ever heard me give my testimony, I say it every time because I think it's relevant. Number one, he believes God created the world. Mm. They said the lady writing the article for the LA Times said he should never hold a scientific position because he believes in, in creation. Uh-huh. 
She even brought on an evolution specialist <laughs> who said, if Dr. And I'm trying to remember the exact quote. If Dr. Walsh does not want to believe in the theory of evolution, then maybe he shouldn't believe in the theory of gravity either. Mm. And as I'm reading this thing, you know, in the middle of the storm, because now the storm is fully hit, you know, once it hit the papers and the magazine, I said, but this man, this man doesn't even know science. He doesn't know science. Gravity is not a theory. Gravity is a law. It's a law. <laughs> so, so, you know, but in, in order to attack me, that's what they said right, in this editorial. Right. And then the other reason she said in one of my sermons, I said, I do not want my children to wish upon a star. I want them to pray to the living God. And, she, mm. and basically, basically, paraphrasing, she says, he hates Disney. Um, you know, because Disney says, when you wish upon a yeah, star, yeah. it makes no difference who you are. Your dreams come true. Um, and that set off a firestorm. I mean, the local TV stations were calling me. National Public Radio, NPR called me to speak. Every time they called, I God whispered in my ear, like a lamb led to the slaughter is dumb. So said he not a word. And I never responded because God wanted to defend me. Mm-hmm. I went through the fire. Um, I remember laying, I, I, laying on my face hours at a time, and I could feel like a demonic weight sitting on me. And every now and again, that weight would lift. Um, and I said, God, what is that? How, how is the weight lifting? And the Lord said, someone's praying for you. Wow. Um, I, there's so much detail. I can't get into all of it except to say one of the things that really I was inspired by Daniel to do is that when I was called by one of our local community partners who I'd worked with in that, when I was at the health department around like community gardens and stuff, um, called me and basically said, listen, we can get you your job back. Because by now they were calling for, you know, public was calling for my job. It was all in the papers. The guy who runs the Pasadena Star newspaper, he had an article about me for every day. I was on the front cover, sometimes two or three articles every day, you know, bashing me and lying wow. on me. Actually, what I found fascinating about the media is they make up stuff about you. Mm. I mean, he would say I said stuff. And I was like, I've never said that in my entire life. Right. Uh, so, you know, they, you know, it was a pretty cruel thing. And, you know, my reputation was shattered in a mm. moment. My career was over in a moment. And I was asked to resign. Um, and I was, you know, Looking, you know, obviously I was gonna have to give up the job. There's no way I could stay in that position with in Southern California with this firestorm around me. And this guy calls me, he's like, Listen, I can get you your job back. He was gonna take me to one of the churches that is of a denomination that's very liberal in terms of their beliefs and stuff. And um, you know, and he was gonna film me on TV. He would invite the media, and basically, long story short, if I would recant. Mm some of what I believe and kind of step away from more biblical, you know, belief and teaching, you know, he was, he was like, we can get you, you know, enough of us in the community, we can get you your job back. And I have to say the devil, you know, in a, in a flash of a second, the devil said how great I was. I mean, I was very popular in the city speaking on government access TV, speaking at conferences across the country and all over the Southern California, Sacramento, um, people put in my name to be a surgeon general in the United States under the Obama administration, or they, or they were willing to do it for me. To, I mean, I was really at the height of my career in public health because I'm not just a medical doctor. I have a doctorate in public health. Um, you know, it, it was just, I was at the pinnacle and Satan was basically saying, in a flash, like in a second, yeah. you can have all of that back. Wow. My response to this man was, I would rather shovel dung in the streets of Los Angeles mm. than to deny my God. I said, I cannot turn on the Bible. I can't turn on what I believe. Whatever happens to me now just happens. You know, I, I mean, you know, basically what I said to him. Um, and what came to me in the moment was a, a memory from my childhood. My mother was a single mother. There were three of us. And I remember once there was more month than there was money. And my mother had us go into the, into the den to pray in our house. We had a nice little house on a, on a, on a, just outside of the city. Um, in, in a suburb of Hartford, Connecticut. And she said, let's pray. So we, you know, my, I remember myself, my younger brother, my mom praying. And while we were praying, asking God to to make ends meet, the doorbell rang. When we finished praying, I went to the door. There was nobody there, but there were bags of groceries mm. on our porch. Um, And I, that, God sent that memory to me. Later on, um, he sent me even more memories of the fact that he had passed all of my exams that I was a doctor because he made me a doctor. Mm-hmm. The job I had that I loved so much, he gave it to me. You know, he, he, she went in and showed me that, in fact, there's nothing I'm losing that he hadn't given me in the first place. And that's why Job it, was also one that inspired me. Job said, listen, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked will I go back. Mm-hmm. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And once you get to that place, you know, going back to what you were talking about earlier about like, 
money. It's not. There's no problem with having money mm-hmm. if that's your stance. Yeah. The reason Job is so rich is because it didn't matter to Job to be rich. Job would take his riches and help everybody else, right? You know, make sure other people are doing well. So, you know, I, it was. This is one of the reasons why Daniel still resonates with me. And it was a long process. Uh, the church turned their back on me. Um, actually, in the newspaper, sent the letter to the newspaper, and you know, I was distanced from the church, lost family. I mean, all kinds of crazy things happened. But in the final analysis, God restored everything. Um, Just as it happens with Daniel, just as it happens with Job. Um, You know, in the final analysis, we went to court because I'd gotten another job with the state of Georgia, which had started the process before this firestorm. They gave me the job in the middle of the firestorm. And when when the the people in Georgia put in the newspaper that I had um, been given a job on the other side of the country in the state of Georgia, People in LA, the activists in LA say, we have friends in Atlanta. We will um he will not get that job. We will follow him wherever he goes. And that was in the paper. Wow. And sure enough, the state of Georgia, who was ecstatic to have someone with my background, skills, education, yeah, yeah. they were, you know, offering me their 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 cabins in the mountains to stay at. And it, 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 you know, I saw their their emails in the court proceedings that you know, we'll never get anyone like him. Da 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 da. Um you know, they they quickly withdrew, and that's when I wept. Mm-hmm. They left me a voice message telling me I wouldn't get the job, and they forgot to hang up the phone, and I could hear them mocking and laughing at me in the background. But God delivered. I got um, First Liberty, um, a, a law group that does just religious freedom and religious liberty issues out of Dallas, Texas, and um, those guys brought it to where we got to mediation. Praise God, we actually won a settlement, and I actually wouldn't have gone that way. But the reason I, I wouldn't have even done it, except that those attorneys said to me, this is a religious freedom, religious liberty issue. You are a bivocational pastor. Because I was paid by the conference as well. And they said, you're a bivocational pastor. They said, if you don't stand up, because by this time, I'd get, you know, after it happened, you know, a year and a half later, I'd gotten back from Guam. I went and lived in Guam for a year after it happened. That was which is a whole other testimony of how I got there. But I got back, had a great job working as a physician in Central California, and, um, um, you know, I was like, you know, I, so I was putting my Lord, the attorneys came and said, okay, it's time to really get this, step this up. A year and a half after everything mm-hmm. happened, I was like, eh, I'm good. You know, I'm not in the press anymore. Nobody in the media is talking about me. I think I'll just ride this out. Right. But they were like, listen, most of the pastors in this country are bivocational. He said, your denomination is fortunate that your pastors get benefits and a salary. Most of the pastors are working and on mm-hmm. Sunday they're preaching. Right. He said, if you don't stand up, this will keep happening to all those Bible. And, it, and I wanted to respond to him with a question. And what came out of my mouth was 2 Timothy 1.7. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we went to mediation and we won the case. Um, I actually had to go to, before that, I had to go to the state um, capitol building of the, for the state of Georgia and actually give a short little speech on religious freedom. Um, although my own denomination never officially stood with me all of the denominations of the South, all of the Christian universities, national uh, organiza- Christian organizations stood with me in that place. And God whispered in my ear, you are never alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it was all over, we won the mediation and I'll never get the mediator comes up to me and he says, you know, I've listened to your sermon. They're, they're phenomenal. He says, I preach like you do. He said, if the bar ever found out that I preach the way I do, I'd be in just as <laughs> much trouble as you are. Yeah. One of the state senators for the state of Georgia said the same thing. He's like, man, I just was listening to your sermons. You know, those are powerful sermons, you know, basically. Um, and, um, you know, he actually apologized on my behalf when the state wouldn't apologize when we made when we got settlement. Um, but I say all of that to tell people that, listen, these things are going to begin to happen. What happened to me is a very small foretaste. It wasn't life or death, you know. But your reputation, when it is being dragged in the uh, on the Internet and social media, it feels like it's life and death. The gentleman who wrote the book, The Heavenly Man, Brother Yoon, if anyone has not read that book, they should, about the persecution he experienced in China as a Christian in communist China. When he leaves China and comes to the United States and Canada, he's here in North America preaching and telling the stories of the miracles and all the things he went through. He says the worst persecution he received was not in China, it was in North America. It was when they questioned his story and damaged his reputation in the media here in the United States. It was a a journalist out of here, right here in California. Um, so, you know, you think, well, it, being beaten would be the worst thing, or, or you know, but when, when, it, when in a world where it's like you're in the saturated, like a pea soup 
of social media and the internet, um, it really is challenging to go on because you know everyone knows, everyone sees, you can't apply for a job. I mean, I have people be like, you were fired. Wow, well, you know, I'm applying for a job as a doctor. And people are like, you got fired. Wow, you know, what happened? All of these, it just, it comes, you know, it, it, it bubbles back up. And we have to be ready for that, you know? And so, you know, I, I would close by simply going back to that song, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm and dare to make it known. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And you've just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more or harken back to a previous episode, you can find us now at wtdtpodcast.com. If you've been moved by this ministry through this episode or others, and you'd like to support us financially, you can become a patron. And if you do, you'll get early access to our episodes, discounts on our store, and access to our other podcast, a 40-day devotional podcast designed to kickstart your walk with God. We're calling it WTDT40. If this sounds like something you're interested in, or you just want to support in general, visit patreon.com forward slash WTDT to find out more. As always, please do subscribe, leave us a review, and follow our social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok too. We'll see you on the next episode. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.